There's this guy I see always handing out flyers outside my place of business. He's usually there all day. I see him when I'm going in, popping out for lunch, even when I'm going home. After seeing him for a week or so, it strikes me that he never gives me a flyer. He gives everyone else one and not me. He'll slip them into people's bags, he'll pretend to be on the phone, he'll chase people down, he'll try to take a pass around him, he'll even pass them out whilst a lonely OAP will be holding him in a conversation. It starts to get to me more than it should. I even do a couple of passes of him one day and he just ignores me. One day, after my curiosity has begun to approach Ambridge, I scare the streets after work looking for a flyer that someone might have dropped. Eventually, I find one and begin to examine it after brushing off the fag ash and the dirt. It's a number and a picture of my mum. She sat on the red settee at home in the conservatory with her hand under her chin and she's wearing something my dear old dad would have never let her wear. Something that reveals what toll having me must have taken on her. And I'm, I'm speechless. I've turned purple. So I go over to and ask him, hey, what's all this about then, eh? He just looks at me, nonplussed, maybe even haughty, and says, This is Time television interview I conducted with the then recently crowned WBO featherweight champion Prince Nazim Hamid somewhat later in my career. The interview caused something of a controversy at the time as I mistakenly used a rather ham-fisted analogy. Hamid's breakout victory was in front of a highly partisan crowd at the defending champion Steve Robinson's home turf of Cardiff. This was such an emphatic dethronement on consecrated ground that I couldn't help but refer to the champion as a Saracen, sacking the holy lands of British boxing. Luckily, Hamid was not a student of history. Otherwise, he might have been offended, or else at least, have known that in time, fat boxers find it difficult to keep their belts round their expanding middles. My producer was beside himself, though I was initially oblivious to any faux pas. I would have been in real hot water had my next guest not been Jim Davidson to alleviate any potential racial tension. And after a hilarious routine detailing the ticks and foibles of the modern cornership proprietor, the audience was in stitches. Hamid, perhaps still trying to work out what Saracen meant, didn't share in the laughter, Yet the cultural illusions of Davidson may have been beyond someone for whom English was not the first language. Okay, huddle up, gang. 
Let's give a big Pepsi Max Dream Soccer Camp thank you to our special guest coach, David Beckham. Thanks for all the insight today, Mr. Beckham. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Yeah. So we got, gosh, we, we sure learned a lot today, didn't we, kids, huh? So before you go, our star right side offense, Danny, wanted to tell you a David Beckham joke he knows. Yeah, a lot does. Okay, so David Beckham goes into a barber shop wearing headphones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that sometimes, yeah. Okay, so uh, the barber says, hey, buddy. I can't cut your hair with headphones on, so we asked David Beckham to take him off. David says no. The barber insists, and they kind of wrestle until the barber pulls off David's headphones. David falls to the floor and passes out. The barber picks up the headphones and listens. It's just a voice saying, breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Great job, Danny. Oh, I, don't, I don't get it. Ah, oh, come on, David. Are you saying I'm stupid or something? David, please, he's, he's, just, he's just a kid. Now, hold on, Landon Donovan. Are you saying I'm stupid? Me, David Beckham, spokesperson for A Club Whiskey, for Armani, for H&M, for Breitling fucking Witches. You think they'd give me money if I couldn't tell a fucking time? David, please, you're you're upsetting the children. I could make your mum finger your auntie just for a chance to smell my bell end, you little slag. David, please, we we were we were together once. Don't don't you remember the galaxy? this lad a few years below us in school you know his, uh, his, his name was uh, Rusty which you can probably guess is because of his, uh, his ginger hair you know it's not like he reacted badly to rain or anything but uh, oh my god was he ginger like Christ it was like quite a dark shade of copper like curled atop a, a, a freckled spattered pale moon canvas or something like I mean I mean, he was a nice enough lad as it goes, but, you know, he was always going to get a bit of stick, like, but, you know, it's just the way it is. He used to hang about us older lads when we were having a kickabout down the park, and looking back on it, I've, I've got to say a fair play to him, like, because we weren't, we weren't very nice to him at all. Quite the opposite, eh? I mean, we'd make him stand in a one-man wall while we'd practice free kicks, and he caught one in his little belly one time that was absolutely ferocious, eh? And when he pulled his t-shirt up to show us the damage, it was like a grim look into a dystopian future where Adidas had expanded into human slavery. Just these three stripes branded into him. Another time a day just descended into roasting the poor lad. You know, one lad would be like, Hey, Rusty, you'll shit yourself when you get pubes, lad. You'll think you've struck a flame. I guess that was like a subtle allusion to wanking or something. 
Uh, another lad would be like, hey, Rusty, you, you ever shove a carrot up your ass? I think they were probably running out of steam at this point. And this one lad, quite a meat and potatoes for the like, I mean, you know, not really a, a go-to lad for the banter, came out with, hey, Rusty, you ever seen your dad's dick? Well, that rocked us a bit. I mean, where did that one come from? Yeah, but, uh, you know, but fair play to Rusty. He said that he had. Of course, the lads roared again. I thought, you know, fair, you know, fair play to Rusty, you know. He asked me a question, he answered it in that, you know. I haven't heard of him in years. I hope for his own fucking sake he's gone bald. Nice to see you. Uh, uh, how's it been at the uni? Oh, it's been alright, Grandad, you know, just studying and, and all that. Oh, well, hey, that's grandy. Hey, well, it's, uh, it's nice of you to come visit your old Grandad in the clink, Jimmy. Well, it's the least I could do, Grandad. I mean, it's awful they've got you banged up in here. Oh, what a godforsaken spot this is, Jimmy. I mean, literally, the Anglican chaplain is long gone. He bit the dust. That's awful. I mean, what happened? I mean, how did he die? Oh, no, no, no. He just got struck off for more practice. Oh, God. Bit the dust, though? That's a bit much, isn't it, Grandad? No, no. That's what he got done for, you know. He rimmed an old inmate. That's what they call it inside here. Grandad, please. I'm not joking, Jimmy. Uh, I'm no different, like, and I, I'm no stranger to a, a, a vicious booming. <sighs> Grandad, would you please stop? I'm not finding any of this funny. Oh, come on, Jimmy, it's this place. These walls, these bars. It's not fit for animals, Jimmy. And I know something about poor conditions, and I, I, I was in the war, Jimmy. No, you weren't, Grandad. Of course I was. Which war? Where? Oh, you know, one of, one of them countries out east, uh, in, in India. India? It, it, there wasn't a war in India, was there? Oh, of course there was, eh? Uh, I mean, we didn't like them and they didn't like us. I mean, it was bound to happen. Gandhi, that bloodthirsty bastard. He wasn't thirsty for blood. Well, there was no milky chai when he was drinking deeper. It was a bloodbath, Jimmy. It's a bit racist, Grandad. And an Indian independence never happened like that. Oh, fuck off. It was a slaughter. Listen, eh? I want to talk a bit more about this bumming I've been on with, Jimmy. You know, it's not about the gayness or or the release. It's it's a power thing, Jimmy. Oh, please, Grandad. You you don't bum people. Of course I do, Jimmy. It's bum or be bummed in here, lad. If I show weakness to the Nigerians, it's curtains, son. Grandad, please, you're a postman. You used to drive disadvantaged kids to school after your rounds. Oh, this spot, Jimmy. See, it changes you, eh? I can't be going around showing me fucking brownie bodges like... I mean, 
They had me fucking bollocks for breakfast. Uh, I, I, I mean, some of these lads literally, literally, Jimmy. They eat me bollocks. Granddad, please. You're just in here because you took someone's Little Woods order off your doorstep by mistake. You're an old man, it happens. It's hardly murder, is it? Oh, oh it doesn't matter, Jimmy. I could have finger-raped the Duchess of Kent and I still would have supped the same porridge. Grandad. I bummed the lad, Jimmy. Last night, eh? No. I made him have me colostomy bag in his mouth like, like a gag, eh? I had Delroy and Jamal watch the door. And why did you do that, Grandad? He was going to do me first, Jimmy. He lay a bar of soap next to me chessboard at recreation. That, 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 that's the sign. Couldn't you have just avoided him? Oh, of course not. I'm the, I'm, I'm the governor around here, Jimmy. A run D-wing. Grandad, will you just stop? There's no D-wing. We're sitting in the butterfly lounge. It's a bloody old folks' home. I met Delroy and Jamal on the way in, and they were lovely old gents. I can't imagine them watching you ainly assault someone. My parents just had you stay here because you couldn't manage on your own. And sitting here listening to you, I can see why, to be honest. You've been here three nights. How could you have dreamed all this up? See, Jimmy. You'll, uh, you'll not have fetched them razor blades, I reckon, then, eh? You can get a shave easy enough in here, Grandad. Every day is a close shave, Jimmy. I have to go now, Grandad. I'll... I'll try and get three before I go back next week. Ah, uh, you're right, lad. You, 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 you get yourself away, yeah. Uh, you know, take care. And, uh, and on. Don't you be at them funny fags at the uni. <laughs> or you'll be in here with me. And the funny fags will be at you. Stay in your room a bit more, please, Grandad. Please. As well known as this incident has become, it was not my first foray into the field of pugilistic journalism. That would be back in my time as a staffer of the Pickering Trumpet. My post was the features desk, yet one summer the sports team was struck down with a particularly nasty case of polio they say had been picked up from having to cover the Huddersfield Pan-Britannic Games, a forerunner to what would later be renamed the Commonwealth Games, so as not to offend the colonies. The sports writers blamed their contraction of the contagion on having to cover the events featuring the less economically fortunate nations, leading them to being in close quarters to their camp and entourage. This theory carried water for a period until an invoice of services rendered arrived in the office from a prominent Huddersfield massage parlour. Using our collective journalistic nous and investigatory rigour, it turned out that the massage parlour had recently been placed under quarantine by the local authorities after a damning report by the National Drinking Water Inspectorate. The piece is fit, and the truth was out. Regardless, they returned after a hiatus, long enough to be deemed satisfactory to recuperation, a good foot shorter each. I guess if you see an older gentleman in West Yorkshire of a remarkably shorter stature, 
he should be given a wide berth and a raised brow. Because of this inconvenience regarding the sports desk, we all had to muck in and contribute. It was a terrible burden added to an already burdensome workload, yet it was the it was the attitude of those days. So when it was announced that the great Joe Lewis, at this point retired from professional competition, was coming over to the region for an exhibition bout with an unconfirmed local fighter, I was tasked with the coverage. I was to interview Lewis at his hotel a few days before the event, a, a prospect I found to be terribly daunting. He was a man that broke racial boundaries in his native America, was cast as the American representative on the great stage of propaganda against the Nazis with his classic encounters with Max Schmeling, before joining the services himself for which he was decorated with high military honours. He truly was a colossus of cultural standing, so naturally I was rather intimidated. Lewis in person, while of course in possession of a great intensity, was irreverent and humorous with none of the solemn gravitas one would expect of someone of his position. I would later learn that this was due to a serious cocaine addiction. By later, I mean after accepting a pinch of what I assumed to be snuff and finding that my jaw was in fervent revolt to any deportment I was attempting to maintain. Resultingly, I came away from the interview with very little information regarding the upcoming match and a very mild headache. Lewis had been more interested in obtaining the company of a lady of ill virtue for the evening and was visibly disappointed when I couldn't provide for him any information as to where said ladies might be acquired. I have never been of that persuasion, so I was of course ignorant and I could have hardly sent him to the quarantine knocking shop in Huddersfield, could I? The only information I received from the former champion about the upcoming bout was that his opponent was not to be a bum, to use the pugilistic jargon, not some nightmarish anthropomorphic ass in gloves, but a champion, a thoroughbred. Though at the time I felt this to be a rather obsequious remark. However, my train of thought may have been hijacked by the copious amounts of cocaine I had been compelled to ingest. Hello and alright, uh, my name is Barry Inverness and I am an expert in child rearing. I say this as the happy father to four happy, healthy children. Right, um, so before we start, I'll have to make an apology to last time sponsors, uh, Ramsey's Butchers. Uh, father Ramsey does not have leprosy and has never, in fact, been to a leper colony. Uh, it just went on holiday and got bit by a really big Alsatian. Um, apparently it was just a rumour, uh, but, you know, that's what uh, young Ram tells us. Um, you know, I, I, I don't even know why I'm making this apology, to be fair. I mean, they're not going to make up with us. I mean, not after I asked if the tight old bastard had kept the fucking fingers for pork faggots. So, yeah, um... 
This week's sponsors uh, is um, Frankie Fuet Electricians. If you text all one six nine seven four twenty one twenty one twenty one and quote Barry, Frankie will fiddle your lecky meter for only a hundred pounds sterling, cash in hand. Um, Frankie has requested, however, that you uh, do not pay with coins. Uh, so yeah, let's start. Uh, first one here. Uh, this is from Sandra in Newton Arlosh. It says, uh, "Dear Barry, I'm past myself with our Danny." He is at that difficult age where he has recently got his own library card and has been spending a great deal of time there after school. Over time, I have noticed a change in his behaviour. His grades at school have improved and so has his posture, but something has been amiss. His father asked him if he might be up to taking over the window cleaning business when he grows up and the lad started on about the proletariat and the sub fuck me and the subjugation subjugation inherent in the service industry eh I didn't understand what he meant but after getting on the tablet and asking Jeeves I got a fright when it came out that it was communist talk I'm at my wits end buddy what can I do with the lad Ah, Christ, I've seen this before. Um, look, Sandra, I'll save you the heartache, all right. He's gay. He's as gay as the day is long. So I'd stop you fretting and focus your attention on your other son, if if you have one, I mean. If you don't have another son, I'd take up a hobby, like knitting, a, a sewing, or something, or something useful there. I mean, I wouldn't bother with scrapbooking unless you want to start a conversation about what you'll sort for the civil union. Um, I seem to remember they had a few uh, communists down Allenby Beach, actually, which is uh, probably why they had to close the public toilets down the dirty bastards. And Oh, and when I say I've seen this before, I'll, look, I'll say outright, I'm not talking about Howard Aiden. I mean, he's a fucking proper lad, him. You know, I was, I was, I was walking past his room to the night and I saw him playing wrestling with his mother, and he had a fucking, you know, textbook half Nelson, you know, he had on, like, you know, he's, he's a strong lad, he's a strong lad. Um, <coughs> right, uh, this one's from Name and Address Withheld. That's a, that's a funny one. Must be some kind of U- Ukrainian or something. Uh, dear Barry, um, I have a rather embarrassing problem. I've been conducting an affair with a friend of my husband's for some time now and I thought that we had been very discreet in our movements. However, my daughter returned home from nursery the other day with a picture that she had drawn of a rather lewd act. When I saw the labelling of the people in the picture as mammy and fancy man, I immediately realised that my daughter must have seen me being bent over the kitchen counter by my lover after she had told me that she had taken herself for a nap. I managed to keep the picture from my husband, but I feel the situation is becoming untenable. What should I do? Untenable? Conducting an affair? Fucking kitchen counter? Christ, you've got some fucking big words for a slag, haven't you? I mean, I... 
I like how your bairn just tells you when she's away for a kip and you're fucking that much in heat, you've got your fucking fanny out before her head hits the pillar. I mean, it seems to me if you gave that much of a fuck, you'd put an outside lock on her door. Bloody hell, eh? Um, yeah. <laughs> Do that then. This next one's from Cattle in Muta. It says, Dear Barry, my infant son is obsessed with Beatrix Potter. It all started when I took him to see the recent Peter Rabbit movie starring James Corden. I was very disturbed to see that the movie seemed to advocate theft, with Peter Rabbit persistently stealing carrots from Mr. McGregor's garden and generally disregarding personal property laws. My husband seems to see no problem with the movie or Beatrix Potter, but I am very worried. I have not yet noticed a change in my son's behaviour, but I think trouble must be around the corner. What should I do? <sighs> um, I think it was a bigger crime having that fat bastard James Corden voicing the rabbit, to be honest. I mean, talking about fucking theft, that butter-titted twat has been stealing a living for fucking years now, like. Um, but as for you, I mean, um, in short, get over yourself. I mean... If your jewellery starts going missing and there's laughing gas canisters under your bushes of a night, then I'd start fucking panicking. Um, alright, uh, this one is from Sophie in Elmbra. Sophie in Elmbra. Um, it goes, Dear Barry, perhaps you do not remember my name, seeing as when last we met, you persisted in referring to me as filth, whilst never looking me in the eye. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do that. Uh, but after you have ignored my Facebook messages time and again, I've thought it best to write to you on here. Well, how thoughtful is that? And what do you have to say? I have recently given birth to a beautiful baby boy. Oh, fuck. Oh, fucking fancy that, eh? Fancy fucking that. And whilst I do not expect you to grow up enough to be a part of his life, you are still obligated to contribute financially at the very least and there you fucking have it and there you fucking have it eh eh I mean what did you fucking name the bairn like eh meal ticket what's the matter with you eh I mean couldn't think it what's the fucking matter with me Christ it must be fucking down to growing up next to Sellafield power station or like I mean my spaff must be fucking nuclear I don't know, he must be. I mean, my next-door neighbour, uh, Bobby Taylor, he was fully bald by 14. I mean, what does that say? <laughs> uh, he's a funny lad, Bobby. I remember uh, I remember he told me as a kid that whistling the national anthem was, uh, you know, an effective form of uh, contraception. <laughs> yeah, it probably, probably explains a lot, if I'm honest. Um, uh, that's probably enough for one day. Um, pretty fed up. You know, and it's getting to the point where I'm not really surprised anymore. But uh, you know, if, if 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 you don't if you don't see us about town in the next few weeks, then don't don't break my door down. It'll probably likely be unlocked. I'll I'll just have seen if it's fucking actually possible to overdose on spermicide. Right, ta-da.
Oh, did I ever tell you this about this fellow I work with when I was at the foundry uh, by the name of Tommy Oroti? You know, he was, uh, he was five foot two or so, but he had arms like Popeye, yeah. He had this routine he'd do where he'd, uh, he'd scare the apprentices. You know, one of the other lads had set it up for him, saying to the apprentice, Oh, oh young'un, uh, uh, have, you, have you seen Tommy? He's, he's had it a bit rough recently, he think he's bird left and, and was talking about doing himself in. You know, I really laid on thick like over the course of a morning. Uh, of course, Tommy, he'd be acting the part, eh, kidding on like he's moping. Not saying out to anybody, eh. Then after a bit, Tommy'd go missing. Someone would say that he'd be carrying a length of rope about before break time and the lads would be like, Oh, well, hey, Chris, we'll have to go find him. The teleapprentice, you go over that way, maybe check the box and wheel away hither, and you know, what have you, yeah, just, you know, go look for him. Now, this time, Tommy would be in the stall in the gents with this rope tied around the cistern, and he'd have a noose round his neck, standing on the toilet, then when he'd hear the lad coming in, he'd start making all these gurgling sounds like he was choking to death. The apprentice would be that shit scared, that he'd shout at the others who just come in killing themselves laughing. But, on this one occasion, Tommy slips in the toilet seat and gets his foot stuck in the toilet bowl. Then he's choking for real, eh? The, 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 the gargling and the, 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 the sputtering, they're completely real. They had to break the door down because he was choking to death. Well, I bet that was the last time he pulled that trick then. Well, die, I mean, he died. Oh, right. When I arrived at the venue on the evening of the fight, I soon learned that Lewis had not been altogether untrue. The former champion was joined in the squared circle by Kipling's favour, the winner of the previous day's 120 at Ripon. Such a magnificent beast it was. I marvelled just to see how gracefully it entered the ring, trotting up the steps to the apron to bob its head under the second rope, only for the rest of its body to follow in a liquid motion. Mercifully for Lewis, Kipling's favour was without its usual jockey, the notoriously ill-tempered Irishman Paddy Kildare, as this would have certainly increased the odds against the former champion of the world. Instead, it stood unsaddled, and riderless, without even a prior attempt to put gloves on its forehooves. Lewis seemed unfazed, and as the match unfolded, it became apparent as to why. My cataract-ridden old mother could have seen that the match was rigged. Exhibition or no, the, the spectacle of a man dancing around a static horse pausing only to fervently rub his gums with his glove proved to be farcical. It appeared like a dressage in reverse, or a Mexican mating ritual seen through a haze of mescal. And when the horse went down atop the sixth round, everyone in the civic hall knew the fight to be as bent as a West Country policeman. At the end of the bout, Lewis was unmarked, save for an unrelated nosebleed. He stood over the downed horse in nonchalance, like a man remembering all the public houses he'd been ejected from, whilst the furious crowd provided a hail of missiles ranging from old boots to torn-out seats to extended family members. Thankfully, the resident organ player had the presence of mind to break into the national anthem, 
causing those in attendance to stop and stand in respect. Yet it took the full 41 verses for Lewis to be safely escorted from the ring to his waiting limousine outside. This stoic observation of the patriotic hymn was almost disrupted as Lewis began to wield a fan of pound notes as he made his exit yelling, I still got Yolz's money. For those in the audience who were already embarrassed about having to mumble through the forgotten later verses, this display was almost too much to bear. That no further acts of violence were committed towards the ageing former champion as well as only a small subsection of the crowd resorting to monkey chants, was a testament to the strength in unity our nation possessed at that time in our history. My name is Harry Ramsbottom, World Cup millionaire. You might have seen me on the cover of the sun with my arm round some bird with massive tits. To clarify, she's not my wife, but it'll be common law once the divorce goes through. In case you don't remember, I made three million pound just on making calculated bets during the World Cup last summer in Russia. And I'm here to tell you, how to do the same for this season's Premier League. All you need to do is subscribe to my website. What, don't you like money, dot cunt? Follow the pics I make and you'll have so much dosh, you'll think you're Prince fucking Philip. Six of a back teeth for seeing the face of Her Majesty. To give you a taste of what to expect, here are a few gems I'll give you out of the goodness of my heart. He who dares wins. You see those warnings you get in the gambling adverts? Always about gambling responsibly, innit? What a con. Why would you listen to the advice of those you're making money from, eh? It's like a gear you're squaring up here and saying, Oh, if I were you, I'd go for my gammy knee. Trust me. If those slags can have a village by the Rock of Gibraltar, they could certainly afford to pay out that bit more than how many corners there'll be at the late kickoff. Slags. The odder the bet, the better the odds. How often will the commentators refer to whatever holidays round the corner? Will the Chinese owner of a club mistakenly applaud when the opposition team skull? How fat the mascots gonna be? Predict his skulls are bread and butter, but I'm lactose intolerant and I've had three yeast infections, so I keep it interesting, yeah? Winners don't bet to make a game more interesting. That's for shirtlifters. Betting should only be about making money. If you want a hobby, why don't you take up darts? A Charlie? Personally, I hate the game of football. It probably stems from my childhood where, when I awake on Christmas morn, sugar plums dancing round my head and rushed into my parents' bedroom only to find Spurs legend Jimmy Greaves knee-deep in me dear old mum. I'll see you downstairs, Sonny said. Just stuffing the turkey. Trademark bit of greavesy with that. He didn't stay for dinner. So there you have it. Money is literally guaranteed to enter your literal account. 
And if you don't believe me, listen to these testimonies of satisfied punters. Yeah, one time I got kicked out of the door office for stealing pens. Uh, I didn't go for the excuse that I was trying to get into the novel writing game and tore up my jado. Uh, thanks to Harry and the button hang, I can afford real food and don't need to eat council on grass. But to be fair, I was making a tidy earner from all the milk I was producing. I used to buy the lottery until I heard they give the money to charity. Bleeding sponges. Yeah, yeah, cool. Sure, I remember young Harry. How is the little bugger? Did he ever get that train he wanted for Christmas? Oh, stow me, his mum's not still on the game, is she? So there you have it. What? Don't you like money, dog cunt? Join now. you a story, so a story I will be giving you, so listen closely, a story to take into the dreaming time. A baby pig, the, the cutie one at the big gun, and he is walking behind his mother, following her across the farmyard, he's not trailing the ground. The stocky sees the little piglet coming, eyes all down, 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 and he's dragging his feet, and he and he feels sorry for the little pig, so he waddle over, waddle over to him. Little pig, he said, why do you look so sad? The pig, he take a while to reply, the darky eyes, eyes stuck, stuck on the ground. Quiet, not an, not an oinking, until he finally look up and he said, because my mother is a pig. So I have heard, replied the duck. I don't understand, Daddy. You said you'd tell me why Mummy left. 